Welcome to the social medium. No, I'm not a medium, but I do love different mediums, like social media and podcasting. You may know me from Savoir Vive by JJ, or My Beauty Fuel Food by JJ. Now, I am a business founder and entrepreneur. Take three, let's do this. So today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Susan Ubari, who is one of many things, the founder of Breathe in Paris, but she's also a Reiki master, a spiritual healer, so many wonderful, incredible things. And she is truly um, incredible herself. So I'm so lucky. Thank you so much, Susan, for being here. Well, thank you, Jesse. I'm so honored to be part of your podcast. Well, first to start, if you could, can you tell us what is Breathe in Paris? Sure. Oh, yeah. I'd love to talk about Breathe in Paris. It's my baby. Um, So Breathe in Paris is a space that I've created um, where people can come into themselves and feel their feelings, face their fears, and most importantly, get in touch with their body, their breath, and their energy. And so when I say a space, it's a virtual space. It's their space. It's your own space. So it's whether it's in a private session with me or uh, by via Zoom or in person in my studio in Paris or a group setting, whether it's in Zoom uh, or online on Instagram or in person in a, in a studio when they open in Paris. And um, the, there are four pillars that are really creating, that are made, making up this brand that I created three years ago. And the four pillars are Reiki. So this is where my invitation is for the people to get in touch with their energy and to feel who they are, what's going on inside of their body. How do they emit their energy? How does their energy feel outside of them? And that's with Reiki. And then second pillar is meditation. So really in getting in touch with mindfulness and, um, and just observing what we're, what's going on in our lives, in our thoughts, in our bodies, and without judgment, being very present. And then also coaching, themes, so philosophy. I love to mix philosophy and coaching into all my sessions um, so that somebody comes, comes to a session and, and kind of looks inside themselves and makes space for introspection. And I feel like we don't give ourselves that much. Um, so that could into with that, with that, it would be coaching and individual sessions and also journaling, um, bringing in a theme and, and a lot of teaching actually. And then the fourth, which is the big event, it's breath work, the breath. And that's the fourth biggest pillar. It's the foundation of breathe in Paris. And I teach a, very specific technique of of breath work of a breath a breathing technique and it puts you into a state of consciousness an altered state of consciousness um and the goal with that is to allow you to um come face to face with who you are and connect with your soul and come out of a session with all these four pillars all mixed together these four modalities mixed together along with a lot of music, a lot of my cheerleading and um, and just connection of energy, whether it's the group energy or me and, and that person, uh, so that the person comes out feeling fresh, new, uh, more uh, clear in their ideas, um, inspired, motivated, 
and um, full of gratitude and appreciation for life. And um, so Breathe in Paris is a mix of those four, but also my 27 years of fashion, 52 years of life. Um, it's, it's about uh, building, uh, putting all of that together to build something that can be useful to somebody else. And I would say that, that just to conclude that is that my why I do this is because when I was 35, I only wished I could have had somebody who had this space for me when I was going through burnout. And so this is what I'm here to, um, to create a space where people who have like, like-minded people who are going through the same kind of things, which we're all going through, um, can come together and not feel so alone. I, I mean, it's so lovely to hear what it really is to you, especially after having partaken in breathe, a Breathe in Paris session, which is very intense. And I, you know, you need to give yourself time for Breathe in Paris. It's not a quick fix uh, moment. It's it's a real hour and a half moment. And I think that that's really interesting, um, especially going off of what you were saying about, you know, working 27 years in fashion and having needing, needed this um, at 35 when you were going through burnout, because I would imagine that at this time you were not giving yourself so much time for yourself. And I would love to talk a little bit about your past and what brought you to Breathe in Paris. I was, I was, uh, I had just graduated from Colby College in Maine. I studied French literature and his, art history. And I got an internship that summer after graduating at Pierre Cardin in New York City. And I had been accepted at S-Mode to start in September in Paris to study fashion. And my dream was to become a fashion designer. And I had just inherited money, money from my aunt who had passed away several years earlier. So I, I took my the money and I came to Paris after my internship in uh, at Pierre Cardin. And I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And, um, and so I, I took a year, uh, I, I studied there for a year. And in that, during that year, it was in 1990, I met my husband-to-be, who's still my husband. And uh, we, uh, well, he was living in Milan. And so I, I was kind of frustrated during my year of studying because I had already received a, a diploma and I was already four years older than I was, yeah, I was about four years older than the people, my other, the other students in S-Mode. And I just felt like it was a, a little too easy for me. And I also realized that I did not want to become a fashion designer. But one thing I really, I really loved doing when I was in fashion school was making the layouts for my project. So you have to remember in 1990, we didn't have computers or, you know, um, uh, email or internet. So I went, I would go to the Pompidou Center library and make photocopies I um, uh, of books from there. And then I would create books that I would like, kind of like diaries with all these photocopies. And then I would write with my beautiful handwriting um, underneath to create my presentations for my, my fashion projects. And at that point, I realized I want to work in the magazine business. And so I think that one thing that if you kind of come back, to, if you look at my whole career in fashion, I've always been in the business of putting things together and creating an emotion and, and also having an intention um, 
my intention was to work in fashion or to go to fashion school. My intention was to move to Europe, to speak another language, to meet a, a foreigner, a man. And, um, and I, I've always been pretty um, focused on my intentions and making them happen. It meant that I had to take action. And every single time I had an intention, I would have to face a fear and go and do it. And that's something that I've been really good at all my life. And, um, and that's how I got to breathe in Paris, for sure. So um, it's not always easy, because getting to what you want in life can't be easy, because you have to fall, you have to fail, you have to make mistakes, or else you don't learn. And um, getting up again each time creates resilience and um, strength and confidence. So for me, any time that I messed up or I was yelled at by my bosses or that I failed or I didn't get a job or I wasn't accepted into something, it was for me sad and hard, but at the same time, always a push in the direction to become a better person. And so um, I, uh, after a year of, of S mode, I said, I'm going to stop. It wasn't worth continuing. I knew what I wanted to do. And I felt like I had enough experience to, to be able to do it. And that was, I wanted to work in magazines in the fashion industry. And so I moved to Milan. I learned Italian. Um, it was very difficult. Um, my, my grandparents, I'm half English and half American. I was born in California. Um, my grandfather, my grandfather's Russian. So I'm like Russian and American and British. And my, when I moved to England to live with my Lebanese fiance, um, when I moved to Milan, sorry, to um, live with my Lebanese fiance at the age of 22, my, my English grandparents were appalled and they, so I've kind of always been against going against the grain. I've always had to kind of say, I really want to do what I want to do. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And I respect it, but I'm going to just do it. So I stayed. I lived, I, I moved in to, in Milan. Um, I learned Italian. I went to a little school every morning to learn Italian. And my goal was to work in magazines. How? I don't know. How was I going to do that? And uh, I, I got an internship at a magazine. And it's a really great story. <laughs> I walked in and I said, I have an appointment with the president. And they let me walk in. And I memorized ahead of time what I was going to say. So I was like, oh, an appuntamento con il presidente. And I just walked in with my, you know, like fireworks behind me, pushing me forward. And I didn't even let. And it was in this editor um, that had Cosmopolitan um, and another astro magazine, astrology magazine and Harper's Bazaar, and it's called Dallas Schiave Editori. And I walk in and I'm like, I don't know where I'm gonna go. And I walk in and, I, and I'm going up these stairs and like, I don't know, nobody asked me where I was, what I was doing. And I saw a door open and I saw a young girl, a young girl, like maybe my age, 26 or something at that point, and uh, really pretty. And I said, uh, buongiorno. And I spoke in Italian because I memorized what I had to memorize and uh, had to say. And I asked for an internship and she said, do you speak English? And I said, yes. And she said, well, um, you can just tell me what you wanted to say, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, you speak really good English. And she said, well, I just um, I'm, I studied in Boston University and I was born in California, but then we moved to Boston. So I was like, are you kidding me? You went to Boston University, you went to BU and that's where I'm from. And um, anyway, she ended up being the daughter of the president of Della Schiava. Oh, Her last wow. name is Della Schiava. And she passed my intern my resume, which was full of nothing, press pr practically, um, to um to 
the people and I got an internship and um, I wanted to work in the art department. And so for a month, I worked in the art department in um, Harper's Bazaar, going back and forth between those three magazines. And at that point, without computers, we used to stick a piece of paper on the wall to um, to trace the, so there would be basically a, a paper on the wall and then a slide projector machine in a dark room. And we would put the slide into the projector and that slide was the photo that we wanted to have in the magazine. And then we would trace around the, the, the picture of the girl just with a pen. And then we would stick onto that the uh, the slide and we'd send it off to Photolipista to get produced and into a into a chromalan and everything. So I learned so much the basics and um I had already been the the, the producer of our university newspaper. So I was really into all of that and I had done my year of of fashion school. So it was great then after one woman left for maternity leave they asked me to stay on. I stayed for a year. And then I wasn't getting paid um, officially, legally. And by chance, my husband, who was an, my husband at that point, we weren't married. He was an engineer and at work, he met somebody who said, oh, I know the son of the president of Condé Nast in Milan. And there we go. I got wow. my pass, I got my resume sent to Franca Sozzani. And uh, so I've been really, like I've always had my the stars aligned. I got a job at 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 Vogue Italia, Italian Vogue, with Franca, who is the my mentor and who passed away a few years ago. Wow. She said, "So where where do you want to work, Susan? It was in 1991. Do you want to work or 1992? Do you want to work in fashion in the styling department or in the art department?" And I said, "The art department." So I had a choice. You get choices in life, and you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes in your choices. I, if I had made um, that choice to go and become an, a stylist, I would have been much more famous. I would have um, been more, um, made more money. I would have been going to the fashion shows and I would have had a whole different path. And I wanted to work in the fashion, in the art department. So in the art department, nobody knows what you've done. Your name is not on any of the layouts that you've done. You, you take people's um, writing, your, their, their articles, their photos, you, take graphics and you create the design and you make something and it was very stressful and many many times Franca would come in and say you know that is not right and it's terrible and kind of you know throw your work in, back into your face and um, and I had a hard time at that point with being um, kind of being always nice I was a nice person and um, and I was likable and people liked me so much and I was teased very often um, and they called me Super Susan because so, I was well known in in Glamour magazine and AD because all of Condé Nast was together in, in the same building. And and so I would just go back and forth, Womo Vogue, uh, Can, uh, Casa Vogue and everything. And and it was a hard time for me, um, but I made it through. And um, then we got married. I had a kid, my first son, my, my first child. And we, then we moved to Casablanca. So just like that was just a, I'm not going to go into detail of all of my amazing stories of my lifetime. Yeah, but yeah. I, I've had that's pretty good already. <laughs> and I mean, pretty crazy. So many were so many jobs. And, um, and it, when I was 35, I, I just was over it. And um, I was at that point back in Paris, after Casablanca coming to Paris, I decided to move out of magazines. And I became a photo agent. Oh, no, then I, then we moved to Milan. And that's where I had my burnout. And so I mean, I think that the thing that was going on with me was that I was just 
my my identity was based on on my job um i was in productivity mode rather than like you said i wasn't able to create space for myself at all um i was a big partier i still like to party um i did not know how to sit still and i was an i was angry i was very angry i was constantly um i was on, on, under a lot of pressure at that point i had just opened um i had opened a photo agency photo fashion fashion photographer agency in milan i would work i was working here and then i moved to milan with our, my husband and by that time my other my two kids at that point and um and the the pressure was so great and also to be a good mom was great was hard to be i felt like i was my husband was traveling most of the time so he wasn't there so i was really trying to balance it all and i was having a hard time and i felt guilty and i felt like i wasn't being good at anything i was doing i was getting yelled at a lot by my boss and then i was also getting kind of yelled at by the teachers of my kids they would be like because my kids were not good at school so they would call me and say you know Madame Ubari, because uh, they were my friend. My kids were at the French school. Your um, your your kids are not concentrating. They're not doing this. They're they might have to stay back. Both of my kids stayed back in the end, and um, and and they kind of made me feel guilty that I wasn't present because I was not. And uh, whenever I'd want to be present, my boss would yell at me because I would have to leave early my work, or I'd have to like, you know, work from home. And it, so I just was always very reactive and i would and i remember i was at the gym one time and um you know it makes me just want to cry just thinking of that moment in my life i remember being in the, the gym and all these italian women they're such happy people and they uh, i was looking at myself it was like an aerobics class you know step class and everybody was you know with this loud music and everybody was like hey yay ciao bella and i was just tears were running down my face as i was doing you know leg lifts and all that and um and then i'd get home get back to work because at lunchtime and my boss would be like where were you i was at the gym well no you can't do that i'd come home and then i'd get a letter from the school and your son is not doing well we need to make a meeting and then i'd be yelling at my kids why aren't you doing well and then i'd be jealous of my sister who had perfect kids at that point and so my husband wasn't there, so I was mad at him. So then I discovered Reiki. <laughs> and uh, and it was because my daughter was having these twitches and like she just was constantly stressed out. And obviously, because I was a mess. And uh, and for a year, I brought her to doctor's appointments. I even brought her to Boston Children's Hospital. I thought she had Tourette's, system, um, Tourette's syndrome, and um, which is where you have tics and you start like doing uncontrollable actions with your body and maybe even speak uncontrollably. And it was really worrying me. And, um, and then somebody, one of my girlfriends who's Japanese said, try Reiki. So I, I didn't try it right away because I wasn't that kind of girl. You know, I was high heels party going out until three, four in the morning, having babysitters take care of my kids. Um, the worst cook, very into you know my success being seen being at the inaugurations at the fashion shows and um so to have to like sit and like 
do nothing and lie down <laughs> wasn't going to be my thing. And after a year of seeing doctors and every single one saying, your daughter's suffering from anxiety, I was like, well, I'm going to just go to this Reiki person, whatever that is. I don't know what Reiki is. And so it just allowed Leticia, who was six and seven at that point, um, and my son was 10, to um, settle down and have this bonding moment. And so we both did Reiki sessions um, because the, the Reiki master said, you've got to do it too, Madame, Signora. I was in Milan and, um, and I was like, okay. I was curious and we did it. And after four weeks of going to Reiki sessions, I felt different, Leticia did, and she started having less twitches and tics. Um, and I started getting convinced by this, so I started to learn it. And then over time, you know, my life changed. And I remember having lunch with a, a guy from Armani, um, and he was, he said, Susan, I see a difference in your face. You seem so much more calm. And I'm like, oh, really? That's amazing. And I knew it. And, and so like, I became more and more interested in learning. So I started reading a lot and starting to follow the, like the, the philosophy and make it part of my life. And I started to slow down and become more in tune with what I wanted. And I started to defend myself uh, in, in regards to my boss, who was not allowing me to be a mom and to find balance. And so I, then I even told him I wanted to quit and, my husband did not want me to quit. So I basically, I started just to live my life according to what I needed. And I, I understood how that was affecting in the end, everybody around me because I was happier and everybody else was happier. And my kids started getting better grades. I, um, my husband and I got along better. I felt less guilty. I was happier. And, and then I, um, I changed jobs and um, and I continued working in fashion for another 10 or 15 years. And it was thanks to all of this practice in Reiki, because I kept on going with my levels and learning it. And um, and fast forward, we moved back to Paris and I became a Reiki master. And I have been doing Reiki since 2005. And I became a master in 2012. Um, and I continued to study Reiki. And um, when I was living in Vancouver, we moved to Vancouver I continued my training, even though I didn't need to. I just am always learning to learn, wanting to learn more and to and to um, deepen that practice within me. And I do practice. I practice Reiki every single day, every day, every morning. And and the what it allowed me to do was just to look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, what who are you? And let's just be you. Let's just be you. And nobody else can make you do anything else. Um and and so then I um and that's why I was able to stay in Reiki in in the fashion business because then afterwards I became I was in TV I I I became a consultant for for big companies like uh, Neiman Marcus and then I was working um, at Nordstrom I helped them open it and I worked for Stella McCartney and that was only a few years ago I stopped and uh, and all of that in all of that time I was also starting to see clients so eleven about uh, 2011 I started to I opened up a space in my Parisian apartment to to give Reiki sessions, um, I had received Reiki up, up until then, constant, consistently. I was going to people and receiving sessions. And I knew it was time for me to give sessions to others and do coaching. And so that's when it all started. And it, parallel to that, I, I continued in my fashion uh, world. And, um, and I was, I often say that those were moments 
that were really hard because I was so convinced that Reiki saved me. Yet I was teased and mocked by my friends, my fashion friends, not everyone, but a lot of people, including my husband. And I, so I cried a lot. I cried when I'd come home after a dinner, fashionista kind of dinner. And I, I'd be like, why? Why did I talk about this in front of them? Why do I feel like shit? And then I'd yell at my husband, why did you do that to me? Why did you make me feel like small? When I love Reiki and he teased me, he's, you know, the engineer. And it was only up until a few years ago, I'd say two and a half, that I finally got over that. And it was when I actually divorced Reiki, I said, you know what? Damn you, Reiki, you're not helping me. I love you, but I hate you. But I still get people to tease me. So I'm just going to not do Reiki. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And that's when I discovered breathwork. It's when you let go sometimes of when you're kind of on this, you're forging ahead on a path. And it's just always bringing you the same sadness or the same destruction. It's not giving you what you need. At some point, you just got to say, I've got to turn direction. I've got to change, shift the wind direction. And that's what I did. And I, and I think that people who try to get pregnant, who look for a job, who want to meet the, you know, the man or the woman of their lives. When they finally say, you know what, I'm not going to try anymore. That's when the magic happens. And it's when you let go of, of the control. And that's when. Your story is amazing. And I mean, one thing that definitely speaks to me and I feel like um, I'm sure I'm not alone is, is that you went through all of that and that you still are the person that's giving these sessions that are, you know, like I said, in the beginning, you know, you really need to take the time to give to yourself. And when before you couldn't even fathom even going to see a Reiki healer. Um, it's, I think it's just, mm. it really just goes to show how, how much we can do if we want to, or if we just set an intention on it, because you changed your your whole life. You changed your whole perspective. And it really makes me think of, of one thing that um, a great teacher of mine actually said, uh, yoga or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Because you do it, 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 it gives you this aura. It's not even whether you're super good at it or, or any of it, but it, it changes the way, the energy that you give off. And so that moment that you were with, you know, your friend working at Armani, it's, it's very symbolic of, just kind of the way that for me, you know, how we take care of ourselves and the things that we do um, give off such an incredible um, an, an energy, a specific energy that, you know, resonates with people. And, you know, I think that and I'm for sure I am I believe firmly that that is also why Breathe in Paris has been such a success and continues to be such a success is because of the energy that you give off and the you know, you called it cheerleading and it is a bit of cheerleading, but the belief that you have in people and what they're capable of. And that's what, how I felt, um, in doing your session, like that really, like at the end of it, it's like, okay, everything can start now. Like anything you want can start. You know, it's so true. We can change at any time and, but we can't change anyone else. So what I, I, one thing that I really want to reiterate is the fact that my husband who did not believe in me who teased me who's cartesian who's you know grounded and not into any spiritual practice whatsoever um he along with all the people who are teasing have teased me or made me feel small and like crap 
whenever I talk about Reiki. And for any of you who are listening, whoever are doubters and who are not um, encouraging you and who are not um, applauding you, those are your greatest teachers. Because if I was going to listen to them and succumb to what everybody thought about what I should do and their opinions of what Reiki meant to them, and I sucked it in and allowed it to poison me, well, I wouldn't be here today. And so it allowed me to understand that I'm going to be, I, I believe in what I do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I know I look crazy. I say, you know, in, in, out. I I have my, like, I, I, I tell people to scream. I tell people to go, ah, oh, you know, breathing out with this, ah, uh, it sounds like an orgasm, for goodness sake. I know. I know. It could look like a sect. I know. But I know how our breath how coming into our energy, how just taking a moment for oneself can create a shift and allow you to be able to just take away all those layers that are from other people that are hiding our real true self. And um, so breath work for me was was a huge revelation. It was only three years, three and a half years ago now. And um, it so I said, Reiki saved me and and breathwork transformed me. Um, and it's very quick. Um, you don't have to like take more than five sessions and you can have a huge transformation. Even in one session, like you said, it's, it changes you. You can be like, this is, I'm going to start now. And this is the first day of the rest of my life right now after one session. Um, but everybody has their own timing and it has to be, um, it has to come from within. And so, like you said, at one point, uh, Jesse very well is that you have to want to do it. And, you have to go in there with the intention that I need to commit myself to an hour and a half or whatever of time to myself with this group or alone with Susan and or with another guide. And I'm going to go through it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use curiosity and resilience rather than fear and resistance. And I'm going to let go of all of what I've been holding on to that's not allowing me to be the greatest person I can be. For people, this is definitely something I experienced, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that, because, and I also know that you had actually mentioned in um, our session that you, uh, and I, 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 from the story that you also told about your life, it would only be natural that you had a lot of resistance towards the feelings that you had. Um, and I noticed for me, for for sure, with breath work, a lot of resistance, like my body saying, no, 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 don't do this. For people who are having, and I know, I know deep inside myself, that means that I actually need it more than anything. But how can one overcome such resistance? What is, I mean, I know that's such a big question, but what would be your um, suggestion or what would be your suggestion for overcoming yeah, a, a resistance question. in your body to these healing techniques or breath work? So first of all, I suggest to anybody feeling any kind of resistance, whether it's physical or psychological, emotional, uh, that could be, you know, I'm resisting what's going on in the world right now, or I'm resisting this desire, this need to go jogging right now, <laughs> or I'm resisting the need to have a glass of wine or a cigarette, or the resistance that you might feel when you're in the middle of a breath breathwork session and you want to stop is to first notice that there's the resistance. And so this is the practice of mindfulness, which I'm sure a lot of 
you guys know about. And so it's about coming into, you know, coming face to face with what this resistance is. And, and then, and then replacing the resistance with a positive phrase such as I can do it, or I'm, I'm okay, or um, I'm curious, and I'm aware, I'm observing. And so in terms of a breathwork class, in somebody, if somebody's in a breathwork session, this resistance usually happens in the first 10 minutes, just like in a yoga session or in running. <laughs> I went running this morning and I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like turning around. And that was in the first three minutes, right? So the same thing happens when you're in a breathwork session where you're, you're breathing in this, in this conscious, circular mouth breathing, and it's, it's continued and you don't stop in the middle. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to just take a moment. It's continual. And so that's, first of all, the resistance is that it's out of your comfort zone. You're, it's a weird way of breathing. We're not used to breathing like that. And so it'd be, um, so in those first five to 10 minutes, you have the resistance to the, to the rhythm. The second thing is you have the resistance to the physical um, effects and sensations that are starting to grow and uh, develop within the body, such as dry mouth, maybe dizziness, and then having tingling sensations. Um, and, and then thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm doing it right. And so the resistance comes from our brain. When we're going into this fight or flight mode, like, oh, I, I totally am not good right now. I'm scared. And so it's obviously there's not a tiger in front of you. You're not getting hit by a car. You're just seeing that you don't want to run anymore, that you don't want to breathe anymore, or that you're just sick of your day and you need a glass of wine or whatever it is. And so you follow the craving. You follow the words that are coming through your head from your head, like, oh, you got to stop. You can't do it. You're incapable. You're not doing it right. You're so imperfect. So that's the that's the next thing is like, okay, let me change that language around. How many times I had to do that before teaching my classes in the beginning? You know, when you do anything new, whether you, you know, even if I looked really confident or not, um, I was, you know, scared. And sometimes I'm scared today um, doing giving classes if it's a big group or it's a, it's a theme that I didn't really study very well or I'm, I'm, I can feel the feeling. So it's like, instead of saying, I'm so scared, I'm never going to make it. Why am I doing this? Which you could have in a breathwork session is to say, I've got this. I'm curious to find out what's going to do. I'm so lucky to be doing this. I'm alive. So change your brain, change your, the neurons through a language. And if you're having a craving, like, okay, I'm okay. I don't need to have that, whatever you don't want. I mean, I love to drink wine at night, so I'm not at all going against that. Um, but <laughs> I, that's really important that people get that. I am so imperfect. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I swear, and I'm going to try not to swear on this, but I, I swear and I yell at my husband and I can get mad and I can get scared and I can get worried and I have regret and guilt and, and I drink way too much probably and I don't work out enough and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I don't eat enough probably. So I'm totally imperfect and so proud of it. Um, but anyway, um, I, at this point in, in the resistance stage, it's about just going with it and saying, okay, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to breathe through it. And so it's facing the fear. And it's almost like this uh, black cloud in front of you. And you just have to keep going, keep going and keep going. And then you cross the cloud and you get through to the other side. And that's with everything. I mean, I ran 56 minutes today and I went slow and I haven't been running very much because I, when I had COVID a year ago, ever since then, I've been so tired and it's been a year since March, a year now. 
And, um, and so I, my body's changed and I'm just kind of going with it. And so that's what happens with anything is that you have a craving and you know, you shouldn't drink. You can't have that cigarette. You're trying to stop chocolate. You want to go for that run. You don't want to yell at your husband, even though he's pissing you off. You have to find that space where you go into and it's the transition place. It's that bridge. And I call it the bridge of transformation in the book that I wrote. And it's that moment where you get onto the bridge and you're like, I'm going to go for this run or I'm not going to have this, this chocolate. I'm not, I'm going to get through this breathwork class and you cross over. You just keep going. That's the, what I, the biggest thing is keep going. And then you get onto the other side and you're like, Whoa, I did that run. I didn't have that glass of wine. I got through the breathwork class and I did my taxes. I, I created my new website. I, I, I made that phone call. I've been procrastinating and you feel so good afterwards. So the biggest advice is, keep going keep going it's hard i have to give myself that it it, it is hard but that is great advice and i think that that i mean it helps me so i i cannot imagine why it wouldn't help all of our listeners um to finish um you i'd love to know a little bit about your routines even if you don't have many i know that you start or at least you do in the morning Reiki or breathwork. Can you tell us a little bit about the things that you do um, every day or? Yeah, so I definitely do have a routine in the morning for sure. Um, I start off with um, getting out of bed and going to the bathroom, washing my face and cleaning my teeth and then coming back to bed. And I give myself, I I always meditate in the beginning. I use, um, I've been meditating for like 15 years, 12 years now, and every morning. And in the beginning, I started by not listening to anything. And that was really a big deal for me to have to to learn how to meditate without any props and um, and to kind of without music in my ears either. And just to listen and just to be uh, in, come into myself with the noises around me in the surroundings around me at that moment. And lately, in the last few years, I've been listening to Calm app or Insight Timer. And I like to listen because they inspire me for my classes. So I get inspired by ideas and themes. So it's kind of a a moment of studying at the same time as a moment of meditating. So now I I would come into meditation and I always uh, have my hands in a prayer position because that's a a position of uh, Reiki called Gasho where I have my hands um, propped up on a pillow. I make it as comfortable as I can with my fingertips just under my nose so I can feel the air coming through my nose as I breathe onto, as it comes onto my fingertips. And um, I give myself, I activate the Reiki symbols before going into my meditation. And I sometimes when I'm doing distant Reiki, because I every other day I give distant Reiki through my Reiki grid, which is with a crystal, and I have clients all over the world who have asked me to be part of my Reiki grid. And my Reiki grid was created about eight years ago and I've transported it um, and it didn't break. And it, I, I have to charge it, there's crystals inside of it. And um, I don't talk about that much, but it's very part, it's a huge part of my routine. And um, so sometimes I'm with my hands in Gasho or my hands are giving Reiki to the crystal grid, to the crystal, which is the master crystal. And then afterwards, I give myself Reiki. Sometimes I give myself Reiki while I'm giving doing breathwork session. And so I move my hands from one position to the next three-minute intervals while I'm actually doing my breathing practice. 
And sometimes I don't feel like doing that. And I just um, do Reiki and then I do breath work or sometimes I do one or the other. Um, I, I was, I used to be very hung up on being um, precise of, of keeping up my routine. And then um, over time, I, I am not hung up about whether I miss a day or if I don't do the whole protocol. Um, I have gained confidence knowing that whatever I needed, I need, and I will just go with the flow. So I don't have guilt afterwards. So sometimes I might wake up late and um, I can't, and then it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I also don't think that I have bad days if I don't do it. I think I've just, it's, it's kind of like part of my, my practice. And so my routine continues during the day where I continually am connected to my breath. And if I'm not, I, I'll notice it and I'll be like, oh, I'm not connected. And so when I get stressed out about something, I'll breathe. And you might have heard me breathe before answering the question just now. Often in my classes, I maybe get stuck and I can't remember what I'm because I speak in English and French and I maybe don't remember what I was saying and I have to kind of take a moment. So I go back into my breath. So the breath is a routine. I mean, our breath is a routine. It's an automatic routine that goes continually every single second. And and so if we can connect to that and create our own routine during the day, then we're actually um, making it a conscious routine. But our body has a routine of its own every single day, beating the heart, the heart is beating, our breath is flowing. And uh, we have the, for the, the luck and the, the chance, the gift from universe to be able to control our breathing. And um, we can't control our heartbeat. Uh, we can't control our digestive system. We can't control our neurons, our thoughts, <laughs> and we can control our brain, our, our breathing. And so that's the, the biggest thing is to remember, we can create a routine during our breathing during the day, no matter where we are. And I, use, I always like to work out. Um, so that's part of my routine. And then at night, I, I usually just, you know, place my hands on my belly and my heart and just say thank you for this day. And, and there we go. Thank you so much, Susan. I have learned so much. Uh, you are so wonderful. This has been such a pleasure. I cannot wait to share this podcast. Thank you so much, Jesse, for this invitation and this, this space that you've created, you know, and uh, what we're doing is important. And what everybody who's listening to is doing is also important. So keep on doing it. Keep on doing it, Jesse. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting me. Lots of love to you.